I'm pretty excited uh, this morning. Um, I had no idea that I would be sharing the platform with John Piper. It's my story and I'm sticking with it. It's actually quite appropriate as he introduces, as he introduced to us a, a topic that fits nicely uh, with our study. See, we began this series in the life of Joseph some weeks ago by asking the question, is it really true that God works all things together for our good? Because it doesn't always seem like it. Let's be honest. We have been facing some significant challenges uh, as a so-called Christian nation in a community of the Bible Belt South and even as a church. Some of you have been facing some difficult, difficult economic, physical, spiritual, and even some relational trials. Is God then really good? And, and if He is, is He really in control? Because it sure seems like things are a bit out of control. We struggle, you see, with the concept of evil. That is, why do uh, bad things happen to good people? I, I mentioned a book by that title... A few weeks ago, uh, written by a Boston rabbi, Harold Kushner. When the book was um, published, it was an instant bestseller. Everyone wanted to know the answer to the question. It was on the New York Times bestseller list for 52 weeks. His thesis was that God, get this, is all loving but not all powerful, good but not sovereign. What then are we left to do? Kushner advises his readers to, quote, Learn to love God and forgive Him despite His limitations. I began this series suggesting that you'd have to be asleep over the past few months to miss some tragic events that have taken place right here in this community. There have been some heart-rending tragedies, what we might call untimely deaths. I reminded us that some have happened within the Christian community. I did not recount those because some have happened within our own church family. Here's the question, where is God in all that? Working all things together for good, I suppose. I suggested that some of you may be reeling. You don't know what to say, what to do. Maybe you suspect that God has lost sight of you. And then I began the series. We've continued to see tragedies in the Christian family, even over the past few weeks. Remember, a 48-year-old pastor of a local church dying suddenly of a blood clot this week, this week, a 52-year-old man who, with his family, used to be part of this church, passed away unexpectedly in Ohio. 52 years old. His oldest daughter is getting married in Boone this Friday. Who will give her away now? Is God really in control? And if He is, is is He good? I think that's a legitimate question. And I want to gently remind us that Paul did not say that all things were good. He, He said that God works all things for our good. We know that we live in a broken world where sin is rampant, and sin brought in some rather unpleasant things with it, namely um, sickness, disease, human heartache, tragedy. 
and death. So, we launched into a study of the life of Joseph to be reminded of these specific truths. But, but that story's been somewhat distant, removed. After all, it, it took place like 4,000 years ago. Yes, we found God was behind the scenes, pulling the strings. He was accomplishing his grand and, and glorious purposes, you know, for the covenant family in the midst of, uh, of personal, national, and even international calamity, you know, with the famine and all of that. We get that, but it seems, it seems somewhat academic, maybe even sterile. So for just a minute this morning, let's be reminded of Joseph's story and, and, and let's make it personal. Joseph was hated by his brothers. That's family. Have you ever been there? Ten older brothers couldn't stand him. They couldn't even speak a kind word to him. Have you ever been there? They got rid of him. After contemplating murder, they decided to sell him into slavery. There, he was dreadfully mistreated by those in authority over him. Oh, have you ever been there? Falsely accused. You ever been there? Accused of attempted rape, unjustly thrown into prison for years, forgotten by everyone, even seemingly God. Have you ever been there? Yeah, he was eventually promoted to prime minister. So you're waiting, right? Continued this process of getting the covenant family down to Egypt. There would be this famine which would affect the entire then known world. Hungary, you ever been there? The brothers made their way to Egypt to buy food. Of course, as God would have it, they come face to face with Joseph. And, and, and for the last three chapters, Genesis 42 to 44, we've seen what I have called the, the awakening of conscience. You see, it's been over 20 years since the brothers did their dastardly deed of selling Joseph into slavery. Here's my question. How, how many years has it been for you? 20 years. A long time. Are they different men? Have they experienced not only sorrow for their past actions, have they, have they truly changed? Through a series of orchestrated events, Joseph found that they have. They, they repented. When given the opportunity to get rid of the new favorite son, Benjamin, they chose not only to stand with him, but Judah offered to substitute himself for Benjamin. This was really quite the change from 20 years ago, from selling the favorite son into slavery to Offering yourself in slavery for the, the favored son. That's different. That's, I called it true repentance. But now let's, let's just be really dead level honest, shall we? 13 years, Joseph had been miserably mistreated as a result of these brothers and their dreadful action. How would he respond to their repentance? Yes, the brothers have changed, but in order for there to be reconciliation, there needed to be forgiveness. I want to suggest this morning that might be just as hard. You ever been there? When a person has wronged you terribly, 
then repent it again. In order for there to be reconciliation, forgiving grace must be extended. Some of you are facing some significant personal challenges through no fault of your own. Some of you have been dreadfully wronged by family members, maybe your own husband, your own wife, maybe a former spouse, your own children, your own parents. Some of you have been terribly mistreated by bosses, co-workers, those who called themselves friends. And, and as a result, the hurt and the pain runs very, very deep. Yeah, maybe there have been some signs of change, even repentance. Maybe you've even been asked to forgive. Here's the question. How long are you going to nurse the grievance? You're going to hold on to it and live in your pain and withhold forgiveness? Let's be honest, sometimes living in bitterness, living in bitterness and unforgiveness feels oddly good, but it will eat you up. And you will never grow to the place that God intends, even through great pain. This morning, as we continue our study of the life of Joseph, I want you to see the following three things. First, true repentance must be followed by true forgiveness before it can lead to true reconciliation. Take either one of those out. Take out repentance Take out forgiveness, and there will not be reconciliation. And I suspect that there may be people here who have been terribly wronged. I want to say very gently to you, it is time to let it go and move on. Second, I've been saying it all along. While all things are not good, God is working all things for our good. See, when we get to Genesis 45, I will suggest that there is actually a divine side to evil, even when we have been dreadfully wronged. That is not to say that God causes evil, but it is to say that He permits it when He could have, it was in His power to prevent it, and He uses it to bring about His purposes. Somehow, we need to see a sovereign God who doesn't cause evil but plans for it. I have no idea how God will use the evil in your life. But I do know this. You can rest assured that He has not abdicated His throne. Third, Let's not forget God's overriding purpose in this story is to get the family to Egypt. In other words, while reconciliation of the brothers is necessary, it's not yet the climax of the story. It might be the emotional climax, but the climax is next week. All these truths jump off the pages as we get to Genesis 45. We'll follow this outline just to guide us through the story. We'll see Joseph's revelation, Pharaoh's request, the brothers' Return. We're going to focus most of our attention on the first point. Let's begin by reading verses 1 to 15 to see Joseph's self-revelation. Then Joseph could not control himself before all those who stood by him. And he cried out, have everyone go out from me. 
So there was no man with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. He wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard it and the household of Pharaoh heard of it. Then, then Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? <laughs> but his brothers could not answer him, for they had their faces in the dirt. And they were dismayed at his presence. Then Joseph said to his brothers, Please come closer to me. And he came closer and he said, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. Now do not be grieved or angry with yourselves because you sold me here, for God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years, and there are still five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvesting. God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant in the earth and to keep you alive by a great deliverance. Now, therefore, it was not you who sent me here, but God. I, I don't get that. He made me a father to Pharaoh, Lord of all house of his household and ruler over all the land of Egypt. Hurry and go up to my father and say to him, thus says your son Joseph, God has made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down to me. Do not delay. You shall live in the land of Goshen and you shall be near me and your children and your children's children and your flocks and your herds and all that you have. There I will provide, I'll also provide for you for there are still five years of famine to come and you and your household and all that you have would be impoverished. And then he says to his brothers, behold, your eyes see uh, and the eyes of my brother Benjamin see that it is my mouth which is speaking to you. Now you must tell my father of all my splendor in Egypt and all that you have seen. And you must hurry and bring my father down here. Then he fell on his brother Benjamin's neck and wept. And Benjamin wept on his neck. And he kissed all his brothers and wept on them. And afterward his brothers talked with him. What would you have done? Last week we saw four specific evidences which demonstrated the brothers' true repentance for selling Joseph into slavery. Uh, they, they stayed when they, they could have left. The situation was eerily similar to to the events 20 years before, they, they, they could have left the favored son, Benjamin, in slavery in Egypt. And second, they expressed guilt for their mistreatment of Joseph from 20 years ago. Third, they expressed concern for their father's um, welfare when before they could have cared less about his feelings. And, and last, they demonstrated a, a care for Benjamin, this new favored son, uh, as Judah, representing the whole, was willing to substitute himself for Benjamin remain as a slave in Egypt. This, you see, is true repentance. And, and once Joseph saw this change of heart, he could no longer carry on his masquerade. Twice before, Joseph had lost his composure in, in front of his brothers. The, the first time was when they talked about how they had mistreated they, that other brother who was no more. Remember that? They had said... Um, Truly we are guilty concerning our brother because we saw the distress of his soul when he pleaded with us, yet we would not listen. They said those words in front of the prime minister who understood them. When he heard it, Joseph turned, wept, 
regained his composure, though, <laughs> came back and had Simeon bound in front of them. And then the second time was in chapter 43 when he, when he first laid his eyes on Benjamin. Overcome with emotion, he hurried to his own private ch- chamber and wept. But he cleaned himself up, came back, brothers feasted. Deception was still intact. Up to this point, whenever Joseph lost it, he was somehow able to regain his composure, not this time. Finally, he, he, he sees the, the depth of their true repentance. He can take it no more. He says an Egyptian, an Egyptian who the brothers don't understand, have everyone leave my presence. At this point, the brothers um, don't understand what's going on. I'm sure they are bewildered. Here is this prime minister crying like a baby. Now he says something. All of a sudden, all all the Egyptians are leaving. Uh, The executioners must be on their way in. Remember chapter 44 tells us that at this point, they are on their faces before Joseph. Soon as the room is cleared between sobs, Joseph exclaims like a lightning bolt on a clear day in Hebrew, no translator, I am Joseph, they're on their faces. I am Joseph. What? They were unable to answer him because they were dismayed at his presence. The word dismayed speaks of of paralyzing fear. So Joseph says, come closer to me, and they came closer. But here's what I see. I see them crawling on their faces. He said, I'm your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. That was a secret that only the brothers and Joseph knew. This was startling. How did this guy know this? Few quick thoughts had to go through their mind. This this guy knows Joseph, and and Joseph even taught him Hebrew and and told him about us. We're in big trouble. Or secondly, this is Joseph's spirit. We're in big trouble. Or thirdly, worst, this is Joseph, the one we sold into slavery, who now has complete control over us. We're in big trouble. Listen to me. The very last thing they wanted to do was to come closer. Will you think about that? In order for there to be true reconciliation, there must be repentance, there must be forgiveness, and you must be willing to come close. The offended party and the offender must be willing to draw near to each other. They thought they were in trouble, of course. Vengeance is the way of people. Why not? Why would Joseph not punish them severely for their actions? What would you have done? I would have. Why not a little payback? Yeah, they'd been sorry for their past sin, but, 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 but who in, in Joseph's place would forgive such a terrible wrong? Would you? See, we're removed. Yeah, I'd have forgiven. 
what have you faced of this magnitude that gives you the right to withhold forgiveness? I'm Joseph. Without waiting for a response, he asks, is my father still alive? That's interesting. All all the time this prime minister has been talking to him, he talks about your father. Now he says, is my father still alive? They still can't respond. Joseph, reading their fear as they tremble on the ground before them, seeks to reassure them how. All this evil is from God. All this evil is from God. This is why we're studying the life of Joseph. Yeah, you sold me into slavery, but don't be grieved or angry because it was to preserve life that God sent me before you. The sovereign God who is both powerful and good did this. In verse 8, he actually says these words, it was not you. You didn't do it. You didn't send me. God did. Notice the main actor in this drama, verse 5, God sent me. Verse 7, God sent me. Verse 8, you didn't send me. God did. God did not cause the brother's sin. You, You sold me into slavery. I'm Joseph, the one you sold, but God planned it to preserve life, of human life generally, verse 5, and of Jacob's family specifically in verse 7. I have no idea why your bad things are happening. I have no idea why bad things are happening to good people. I do know this, he knows. More he planned for it. We need to notice some very important truths here. First, notice Joseph's focus on God. He didn't begin with himself. He didn't begin with, woe is me, let me tell you what, 13 miserable years that I've endured. He doesn't talk about how, all the success he has achieved, all of the honors that he has attained, how he single-handedly saved the whole world. He starts with God. God did all of this for his purposes. Yeah, I have achieved some level of success, but only because God ordained it. The point is, Joseph talks more about God than Joseph talks about Joseph. And I want to suggest to you the only way that you can do that in the good times is if your focus is on God in the bad times. Otherwise, we can become pretty self-focused. Look at what I've done. Secondly, there's a truth that we have to grapple with here this morning, and I've made reference to it in the past already. Of this preserving life, one commentary says this. Now, I want you to see these words. Others in Canaan may perish because of the famine, but the family of Jacob, Jacob will not be among them. You understand that a famine causes widespread death. Yeah, Joseph was sent ahead of the family to save many, but not all. Yeah, Jacob's family was saved, relocated to Egypt, all according to God's plan. 
but we must remember that it was God who brought the famine. All suffered. Many died. I suspect for judgment, these inhabitants of Canaan uh, did not worship the true God, and judgment falls in the form of divine famine. In the process, the people of God suffered. And all the while, God was accomplishing His purposes in, in and through them and for them. This idea, listen to me, this idea that God does not bring judgment in the form of evil, natural disasters is not true. God needs no defense. And this idea that God never intends for His people to suffer is not true. But we can rest when we suffer, that it is for our good and His glory. You probably won't see that on the 11 o'clock news. There's an an important point of application for us as well. Joseph endured severe trials, significant trials, more than I've ever faced, And we rightly applaud him. And it was in preparation for his good to see him elevated to the second highest position uh, in the land. But we also see here that his trials were not only for his good, but for the good of others. Which means to me that there may be times that we endure trials not only for us, but for others around us. And how we respond to the trial may have a significant bearing on whether it is good for others. I would even go so far as to say that nothing happens to God's people, good or bad, accidentally. It might seem that way from our very limited human perspective, but it is all under God's good control. Everything everything has a purpose no matter how tragic for God's people. Joseph has revealed himself, gets to the heart of the matter. He says, go get dad and your families and and, and bring them back. For this reason, God did make me father to Pharaoh, lord of his household, ruler of all Egypt. And you need to know that we've only been through two years of famine. That's how we know how long he's been here, that Joseph is 39. 13 years in in prison, seven years of abundance, uh, two years of famine, 22 years. Still five years of famine left. So he says, come to Egypt where I can take care of you. You live in the land of Goshen. That's unattested in, outside of biblical literature. Most feel it is the eastern uh, Nile Delta. It appears at this point the brothers were still speechless. They haven't said anything. Oh, they have this wide-eyed look of horror on their faces. So Joseph continues to try to reassure them. He says, look, Benjamin... You can see that it's really me, which means that Benjamin must not have been a baby when Joseph was 17, probably much closer in age. Then he hugs and kisses Benjamin, of course, and and falls on his neck and and, and they weep together. Yeah, yeah, that's Benji, of course. And then he does it with all his brothers. The ones who sold him into slavery. You have no idea what somebody did to me. 
I could forgive them, hug them, forget it. Their sin needed to be dealt with. It was. It brought about true repentance. And then there needed to be an extension of forget, forgiving grace. And he forgave them all. When sin is dealt with, repentance shown, we have a responsibility, responsibility to forgive no matter how terribly wrong. This is difficult. This is difficult. How much easier it is. Not better, not healthier, not right, but how much easier is it to hold on to the bitterness? It feels so good, like somehow we're getting back at them. Now, 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 now please understand that in order for reconciliation to happen, there must be repentance and forgiveness. Without either one of those, there is no transaction leading to reconciliation. And we see that afterward, his brothers talked with him. Up to this point, they'd been speechless. <laughs> what was there to say? But as Joseph forgives them, we're supposed to notice something about verse 15. Before the last time they were together, they couldn't say a kind word to him. Now, they talked with each other. That's true reconciliation. It brings us very quickly, and I'm going to move through these last two points very, very quickly. Verses 16 to 20, Pharaoh's request, look at that with me, says this. Now when the news was heard in Pharaoh's house that Joseph's brothers had come, it pleased Pharaoh and his servants. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, say to your brothers, do this, load your beasts and go to the land of Canaan. Take your father and your household and come to me and I will give you the best of the land of Egypt and you will eat the fat of the land. Now you are ordered to do this. Take the wagons from the land of Egypt for your little ones, for your wives, and, and bring your father and come. Do not concern yourselves with your goods. That's interesting. For the best of all the land of Egypt is yours. couple of comments. Pharaoh confirms the invitation that Joseph had already given, only he's a bit more magnanimous. Why wouldn't he be? This is the family of the man who saved Egypt. He says, come. I mean, Joseph said, come, bring your stuff, stay in Goshen. Pharaoh says, don't worry about your stuff. And you can get the best of the land and stay wherever you want. He even loaded some, uh, sent loaded wagons with treasures to assure their return. Here, here's the thing I want you to know. Remember that third point? Remember what I've been reminding us all along? The main point of the story is to get the family to Egypt. This is all happening according to divine plan. Pharaoh, the most powerful man on the planet, says to Jacob, hey, come on down to Egypt, and I'll give you everything your heart's could desire. Pawn, providential, just like later is going to be providential when Pharaoh turns against the Israelites to drive them out and so they go back to the land of Canaan. You know what's interesting to me is as you read through the, this story, you find that Pharaohs always seem to be pawns in the hand of God to accomplish, in the hands of God to accomplish his purposes with his chosen people. This would not sell well in Cairo or Tehran today, but it is true. Lastly, we get to verses 21 to 28. Brothers return to Canaan, get Jacob, their families. Look at those verses with me. 
sons of Israel did so. Joseph gave them wagons according to the command of Pharaoh, gave them provisions for the journey. To each of them he gave changes of garments. But to Benjamin, he's learned from dad, he gave 300 pieces of silver and five changes of garments. To his father he sent as follows, 10 donkeys loaded with the best things of Egypt and 10 female donkeys loaded with grain and bread and sustenance for his father on the return journey is the idea. So he sent his brothers away, and as they departed, he said to them, do not quarrel on the journey. That's interesting. Then they, 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 they went up from Egypt and came to the land of Canaan to their father Jacob. And they told him, saying, Joseph is still alive. We misplaced him for 22 years. Found him. He's ruler over all the land of Egypt. And Jacob was stunned, for he did not believe them. When they told him all the words of Joseph that spoken to them, and when they saw the wagon, when they saw the wagons that Joseph had sent to carry him, the spirit of their father Jacob revived. And then Israel, that's Jacob, says, It is enough. My son Joseph is still alive. I will go and see him before I die. A couple of quick points about these verses as well. For Pharaoh's instruction, Joseph gives wagon loads of goods, and then he gives them changes of clothing. Don't miss that. <laughs> you see, because clothes have played an important role in the story of Joseph. The last time that the brothers were with Joseph, they ripped his clothes off of him. Remember that? And now this time they're together, he gives them clothing. It's a reconciliation. What would you do? To the person who'd so terribly wronged you. Yeah, he gave five changes to Benjamin because he learned that from Jacob. But you see, it, it didn't matter. The brothers had changed. To his father, Joseph sent ten male donkeys, ten female donkeys loaded with the best things of the land to include provisions for the journey back to Egypt. As he sent the brothers on their way, the last thing he says, the last instruction is, don't fight. Why would he say that to them? Where were they going? Home to dad. What were they going to have to tell him? <laughs> um, dad, you remember that coat of many colors? That was actually, well, that was goat's blood and Joseph is alive. The potential quarrel probably had something to do with this anticipation of talking to dad. And there was the potential they would argue on the way. Whose idea was it to kill him anyway? Hey, who came up with the idea of selling him? And who came up with the idea of selling him into slavery? You can imagine. Lots of opportunity for casting blame. Joseph says, don't do that. It doesn't. There's been true reconciliation. It doesn't matter. Yeah, rehash all the, all the details of the... It doesn't matter. You've repented, I've forgiven, it doesn't matter. We see them return home. You can only imagine the joy that Jacob felt as he saw his son's return. He sees them on the horizon. He begins counting. One, two, three, four. Eleven. All eleven of them are back. Benjamin and what's his name? They're all here together, or so he thought. His present joy could only be surpassed by the news that Joseph was alive and well. They tell him, verse 26, Joseph is alive. We read that 
Jacob is stunned, literally. His heart grew numb. Chuck Swindoll suggests that he actually had a mild coronary. And we, and we, and we see, again, Jacob's um, lack of faith and his pessimism. They tell him Joseph is alive, he wouldn't believe him. You see, 22 years ago, they told him a lie, he believed it. And now they tell him the truth and he doesn't believe it because he always wants to believe the worst. Everything is against me. He sees the wagons, his heart revives, and he says, I will go see him before I die 17 years from now. Let me ask you some questions as we close. We see God at work in the life of the covenant family. I mean, you know, he's like the patriarchs. Yeah, of course. He was fulfilling his grand and glorious design uh, to make a great nation of them through whom the word of God, that's somewhat important, and the son of God would come, of course. But come on, Scott, can we we trust that God is equally at work in my life? I'm not as important as Jacob. We certainly don't see God's hand at work in the mess of life today, do we? I certainly don't see God at work in my mess. And Jesus said to them, Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they? Are not two sparrows sold for a cent, and yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your Father without Him knowing? The very hairs of your head are numbered. Do not fear, you are more valuable than many sparrows. Does does God care about you the same way he cared about Jacob? Yeah. He knows right where you are. He loves you and he cares about you more than you could ever imagine. And he knows what he's doing. I'm going to ask the worship team to go ahead and make their way to the front. I'm also going to ask the elders who are present with, with their wives, if you wouldn't mind just uh, coming here at the front as well. Um, just think we've got some elders, maybe former elders. That would be helpful as well. I think we need some more. Randy, Jimmy, that'd be great.